this led to a broader finding that having any upsetting experience that you keep secret is associated with more health problems than if you have the same trauma, but you talk to other people about it. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. In this episode of In the Doctor's Chair, I'm joined by renowned psychologist, Professor James W. Pennebacher, Regent Centennial Chair of Psychology at the University of Texas. Today, Jamie and I discuss how practicing journaling can enable you to become an observer of your own experience in this way to separate the I from my concerns, to develop a growth mindset and set one on a path of continuous self-development and personal transformation. Expressive writing delivers an examined life, which in times of transition slows things down, providing space and opportunity for growth. Big picture strategies for growth include writing to reframe the past, meditation and mindful practices to embrace the present and exercise providing for a brighter, more optimistic future. If you're a leader who recognizes, particularly since COVID-19, that living with vitality and building a more resilient mind matter now more than ever for you and your team, then this podcast is for you. For further details, visit drmarkrow.com. So I'm delighted to be joined today by uh, Jamie Pennybacker, all the way from Austin, Texas. How are you doing today, Jamie? I'm doing very well. It's nice to be here. Fantastic. You know, I've, I've been so interested in your work for so many years about expressive journaling and, and really how, you know, writing things down on a piece of paper, while it sounds so simple, can have such a positive impact on the lives of so many I'd love you to share with our listeners how you got into that research, Jamie, and what what you discovered. So I got into this research almost by accident. I had, at the time, early in my career, I'd been doing a lot of work on how people come to know how they feel. How, how do you know if you have an upset stomach? How do you know that your heart is racing or you think that your blood pressure is high? And I came up with a very large questionnaire that I gave to people asking them about symptoms and health issues. And, you know, it occurred to me, it would be interesting just to ask some other questions. And I asked about people's background, their childhood, their relationship with their parents. And one of the questions that we put on that questionnaire was prior to the age of 17, did you have a traumatic sexual experience? Yes or no. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't any particular reason that we put it there. But what happened was that one question changed my life because we found that in that particular group of people, 15% of the people reported that they had had a traumatic sexual experience in childhood. Mm-hmm. And those who did were more likely to report every symptom we had on our questionnaire. They're more likely to the doctor. And we later ended up doing this with a national, kind of an oddball national sample. 
and found that adults who reported these early traumatic sexual experiences were more likely, were twice as likely to have been hospitalized in the previous year. They more likely to have been diagnosed with cancer, high blood pressure, ulcers, anything you can think of. And this got me to wondering, what is it about a traumatic sexual experience that's so toxic? And in our subsequent studies, we found it was the fact that most people didn't talk about them. They kept them secret. Mm. And that this led to a broader finding that having any upsetting experience that you keep secret is associated with more health problems than if you have the same trauma, but you talk to other people about it. In other words, keeping secrets, not talking about something can be a risk to health. So this made me start to think, what if we brought people in the laboratory and had them talk about or write about these upsetting experiences, would, would their health improve? So, so that was the logic. And I ended up just doing a study. It turned out having people come and talk about them was too complex. So instead, we set up a study where we brought people in the laboratory and we had them either write about the most traumatic experience of their lives, ideally ones they hadn't talked to other people about much, or the other half of the people, by a flip of the coin, we asked them to write about superficial topics. And we had them write for four days, 15 minutes a day. And that was the study. And we discovered that those who were asked to write about traumatic experiences were more likely to go to the doctor less over the next several months than people in our controlled conditions. In other words, writing about these upsetting experiences had a really powerful effect on physical health. Well, I think that's really interesting, you know, how the mind and the body are so interconnected. And it's certainly something I've seen a lot with, particularly with Irish men, uh, that men tend to suppress how they feel. They tend to suppress emotion. And that can really have a very damaging impact on their long-term health and well-being. That's absolutely true. And But don't overlook the fact that a high number, a high percentage of women have had to face some really horrible experiences that they too have kept secret. Yes. And, and this idea of having to hold something back and not tell other people about it, that is a stressor for anybody. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And in terms of the benefits of expressive journaling, could you share with our listeners, you know, can anybody benefit from doing this practice? I'd like to say that everybody can, but the, the reality is this is a technique that's free, it's cheap, it's fast. And yes. my recommendation is to try it. So I can tell you that there have now been probably between one and 2,000 studies on expressive writing. It's been really examined by people all over the world. And we know that it, writing about upsetting experiences is associated with changes in immune function, changes in cardiovascular function. Afterwards, people often sleep better. They think better. They connect with other people better. It's associated with uh, improvements in all sorts of markers of physical health, as well as markers of mental health as well. So the, the data suggests that it does have a positive effect. Now, the effects, they're modest. They're not huge, but they are, they're modest. What I would recommend to people, you think this might be something valuable, is to ask yourself first, are you finding yourself thinking about something too much, worrying about it, obsessing about it? Is this something that you have trouble talking to other people or other people don't get, or you're embarrassed in, by talking about it? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then writing might be beneficial. And the data would suggest that 
within two or three days, you probably can start to tell that you are feeling a little bit looser. You're sleeping a little bit better. Mm. And that's a marker that expressive writing may be beneficial. Now, I recommend people writing, say, for three or four days. In other words, just set aside 15 minutes a day for three or four days and write about this upsetting experience. And we can talk about ways of writing a little bit later. But really let go and explore your deepest thoughts and feelings. And plan to write for only three or four days. If you end up wanting to write more than 15 minutes, sure, go ahead. It's free. And after four days, if you want to write some more, sure, that's fine as well. But I don't view this as a a life task. This is not Mm. journaling. This is not writing a diary. This is for three or four times. That's it. I'm not asking you to change your life in terms of your your writing habits. Just write. And the writing, by the way, should be just for you and nobody else. Plan to throw it away. I don't care what you do with it. It's very possible that if other people found it, they could be humiliating or embarrassing or shameful for you or for them. So be very careful with what you've written. Feel free to destroy it as well. Burn it. Erase it from your computer. But the point is, this writing is for you. You need to be completely honest with yourself. I mean, I think that's absolutely fascinating. I often recommend journaling to patients because I think a journal can be a great way to track health habits, track your progress, express gratitude and so on. But what you're really saying here, Jamie, is that this is just a practice you just need to do for for three or four days, not for three or four months or years, just three or four days, 15 minutes a day. You don't have to show it to anybody. You can tear it up afterwards. And that in itself, that three or four day practice is going to lead to significant benefits for your physical and mental health. That's right. And, you know, I do this, but not very often. I do this when my life falls apart. Fortunately, that's, that only happens maybe once or twice a year. So, <laughs> I, but, you know, if I find myself tossing and turning at night because I can't fall mm-hmm. asleep because of some fight at, with a coworker or with my spouse or, or kids or whatever, often I will get up and I'll just write for 15 or so minutes. And I actually won't even do it for four days. I'll do it just once even. And very often I'll start writing and I'll write. And, you know, after about 10 minutes, I'm finding, you know, this is really boring. Well, that tells me that I've either come to terms with it, or maybe that wasn't the issue that was bothering me so much. So the point is, is use this as a way to try to understand yourself better. Why am I so upset about this experience? What is it about this experience that is hooking me, that is bugging me so much? What's the other person's perspective? What's, is this tied in with other similar experiences in my background in some way? In other words, just do some analysis of what's going on. Mm. And again, you know, be honest in terms of what are you feeling and why are you feeling that way? That's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I, I see obviously see a lot of patients who struggle with toxic stress as you said, with ruminating, I call them ants, the anxious negative thoughts, recycling worries over and over again. And what you're saying is that really getting those ants out of your head and onto paper can really be very cathartic. I don't like to use the word cathartic because that has uh, this sense of blowing off steam. It's really really more trying to understand why you're having these thoughts. In other words, the idea is to be introspective and to understand what's going on as much as anything else. By the way, one reason I don't recommend writing for several days or weeks or months is 
it's really important to not to get in some kind into some kind of ruminative cycle. In fact, that's almost the definition of depression, where you ruminate and you start thinking about the same things over and over again. And if you find yourself writing about the same issue in the same way over and over again, you're wasting your time. There has to be change. There has to be growth. There has to be the ability to stand back and look at this from a different perspective. Yes. So what you're really saying is that write about your worries and concerns, but actually write in a way that enables you to become the observer of the concerns, to actually separate you from the experience and to ask yourself questions, perhaps, how can you grow? How can you see things differently? How can you change your mindset on something? That, that's right. And also, how did I get myself into this mess? Mm. Uh, how can I this in the future? How can I fix it? And the most important issue is, how can I understand it? Yes. Why do you think from the research that's been done, Jamie, that it, that it is so helpful from a scientific point of view? There have been a lot of studies trying to answer that question. And my gut sense is there's probably four or five fundamental features. The first is merely putting something into words has a tremendous amount of power to it. First of all, once you put something into words, you are acknowledging that it happened. I suspect everybody's had this experience. Something bad has happened. Someone has said something horrible to you, or you've said something horrible to somebody else, but you don't tell anybody about it. And you ponder it, you think about it, but you don't ever say, say it or write it down. By putting it into words, essentially saying, this happened, mm. deal with it. So the first is just is simply the translation into language. The second is that once it's into language, what it does is it forces you to organize this experience. You have to have some kind of beginning, middle, and end. There's some kind of structure to it. And I think this structure is, is, is really important for us to, to kind of get some meaning. Another aspect of this structure also is you have the ability to tie this event into other things like it in your life. You know, a person has said this and it deeply hurt you. You can reach back. When has this happened before? How about before that? Ooh, and all of a sudden you see certain patterns that have occurred perhaps. And now all of a sudden you start asking yourself, why am I so vulnerable to what people are saying along this dimension? Where does that come from? In other words, now you start to tie things together in ways that we normally don't do. So this really is a, a kind of a working through process. Another reason why this works is once we come to some kind of understanding, once we've worked this through some, our mind doesn't need to ruminate about it anymore. And what that means is we have more of what's called working memory or executive function is sometimes called in psychology. And what that means is you can sleep better. When your head hits the pillow, you're not thinking about that thing anymore. And you sleep, so you sleep better. The next day, you can talk to people better. Your mind's not full of worrying and thinking about this other topic. And so there's good evidence that after writing about upsetting experience, you connect with other people better. You are a better friend. You're a better listener than you were before. We know also that people perform better on at work and in school and other places because they're listening better, their mind's clearer. So all of these things kind of fit in together in mm. that, you know, you, you're putting it into words and labeling it. You're starting to construct a story. You're tying it in with other events in your life and, and seeing patterns. Your mind is clearer. You're sleeping better. 
And all of this, we know sleep's associated with better immune function. We know it's yes. associated with, with lower levels of depression. Your mm-hmm. appetite starts to return. Everything is perfect. And then you'll win the lottery and life will be perfect. <laughs> well, I, can't, nice. I, I can't promise the lottery part. Well, I always say there's no such thing as perfection. It's all about progress. But I think there are so many benefits from, from this expressive writing. It's, it's really powerful. Can I ask you, is it, is it as effective writing it down on paper as if somebody was to say, well, you know, Mark, I'd like to just write it in the notes on my, on my iPhone or, or type it into my computer or I'd even like to dictate it. Is there something particularly good in your opinion about the art of writing it down? No, I think anything works. Okay. The- first issue is translating it into language. Mm. In fact, a discovery I made years ago, my wife and I were on a trip somewhere. We were in a small motel room and I was tossing and turning about an ailing with. And I thought, you know, I, this, I should get up and write. But I knew if I got up and write, I'd turn on the light and it would bother my wife. And I thought, well, I'll try this. So I got up and I just started writing this issue in the air with my fingers, with finger writing. And as I was doing this, I was realizing, whoa, this actually works. And since then, I've, had, I've run many workshops and I have, I've tested this where I have people do finger writing about upsetting experience. And we find that that seems to work as well as writing on paper or probably talking into a tape recorder or writing, you know, typing it, writing it, doesn't matter. Mm. All of this is translating into language and it slows your thoughts down. You, you are having to really contemplate each sentence. You're, and so there's structure to it. So that's why I like anything that translates this upsetting experience to language seems to be beneficial. I mean, it's really interesting. You know, the philosophers like Socrates would have said, you know, know yourself. And they all kept accounts of their lives. They all kept written journals, you know, teaching objective perspective, thinking on paper the examined life, as it were. And can you tell our listeners, Jamie, any any particular ways that might be helpful to write? If, if someone was going to start this journaling practice and they've, maybe they've never done expressive writing before, what would be the best way to start, in your opinion? I would, first of all, I, I want to get back to this issue of expressive writing versus uh, journaling. And I think an examined life is critical, but navel gazing is too much examination. In other words, don't examine yourself to death. We need to have life course corrections every now and then. We need to stop and ask ourselves, what am I doing? How, how did I get here? What's going on? So for me, writing is first, is this a good time to write? Are you finding yourself thinking or worrying about something too much? If so, Uh, try it. Find a place that you'll be by yourself for 15 minutes a day for three or four days. You can write with a pen, you can type, you can talk into a tape recorder, whatever you're most comfortable with. And in fact, you might find one medium works better than another. And then just sit down and start writing. The, the, The instructions I give participants in our studies is I want you to really let go and explore your deepest thoughts and feelings about the experience that is bothering you. In your writing, really tied into other issues of your life, you know, perhaps childhood, your relationships with others, about maybe it's your work. It could be who you would like to be in the future or who you've been in the past or maybe who you are now. You can write about the same topic every day or 
over the course of right now, or you can topics if you feel that, that another topic might be better. But what you write about, really let go and explore your deepest thoughts and feelings. Now, what if you run out of things to say? Well, then just repeat what you've already written. The reality is very rarely do people not have anything to say. How do I get started? You just get the pen in your hand and just start writing. And it could start off with something like, here I am writing about this particular topic that I've been avoiding. I don't care how you start. And remember, the writing is for you and you alone. Yes. Be honest. So, so those, those really, the, the rules are really, really simple. Now, some people think, uh, well, I think I can work better if I write with my non-dominant hand. Try it. it you know, experiment. See what works best for mm. you. Some research says you can get by by writing for only two minutes or five minutes. Sure, try it. See if that works for you. There's no right or wrong approach here. That's, that's the thing I want you to emphasize. And also, I'm a scientist. Mm -hmm. I believe in results. And so I try something, and if it doesn't work, that tells me it doesn't work. Try something else. In other words, if you're a cook, you know that, yes, there's a recipe this recipe has too much salt. This one doesn't have enough sugar or whatever. A good cook is always experimenting to see mm. what works. And that's what needs to be here as well. I really love that idea, Jamie, about it being an experiment. You know, I, I always advocate about people becoming active participants in their own well-being, becoming the author of their own lives and to conduct experiments and figure out what suits you best. So I really like like that. I think that's really good. But I think it's also important to highlight to our listeners that you are a scientist like me and you're guided by the evidence and the evidence strongly yeah. supports this working. It, that's exactly right. But by the same token, another rule of science is always be skeptical. Yes. Don't, don't trust what I'm saying. It can just give you my personal experience and, and the findings of research. But the findings of research are based on hundreds and thousands of people. And some mm -hmm. people it worked for, some it didn't. And some it worked really well for. And I do know that sometimes writing works for me and sometimes it doesn't. Yes. In other words, approach this in, with a very open mind. Yes, I like the idea of having a number of tools in the toolkit for your well-being. And at different times in your life, different tools may work you know, better or worse than other ones. But to have a, a variety of options there that you can draw upon to support you when, when you need it. And That's have right. you done much work, Jamie, in the area in terms of resilience and for maybe people in the workplace who've been laid off or lost jobs or, or had to retrain and how expressive writing may have helped them? I have. I actually did a big project many years ago among engineers who had all lost their jobs. There'd been a massive layoff from a company. Mm -hmm. And what we found was that those people, these were almost all men. We had them write about their deepest thoughts and feelings about uh, being laid off. And the effects were really powerful that those people in our experimental condition, the people who were, wrote about uh, being laid off, they ended up getting jobs at much higher rates more quickly than people mm -hmm. in other conditions who either didn't write or who wrote about superficial topics. And I've always thought that expressive writing was really powerful for anybody in transition. And transition is a big concept. So it could be losing a job, getting laid off, dealing with COVID. It could be getting a divorce, getting married, having a baby, losing a baby. All of these are transitions Yes, where your life is going along in a certain way and then all of a sudden 
your life is thrown off for, in some way. And it could be for good reasons or bad reasons. The problem with, with a major upheaval is it changes everything about our lives. If I'm going along and I've been in a close relationship for several years and then all of a sudden like that, it's gone. My daily habits are different. What I eat is different. The friends I had are different. The way I connect with some of the people at work are different. In other words, it's, you know, we think of, well, this was just a breakup. Well, this just a breakup has changed every part of our lives. And we often don't appreciate that. And this is where writing slows things down. It gives you the opportunity to, to start to think, oh, this is why I'm having problems with this people, this group of people at work. This is why I'm having issues with having money issues. This is why I'm having these issues. And it helps to bring all these together into kind of a, a more organized way of understanding the, this transition. If somebody was experiencing a transition, Jamie, or if they had you know, a challenging situation, maybe in two or three aspects of their life, maybe there's a situation going on at work, or maybe there's a relationship issue, or maybe there's a financial issue, whatever it might be. Would you encourage that person to spend three days of 15 minutes a day on each issue or to spend 15 minutes for the three days on all of them mixed in together? In other words, is it better to tease out the issue and write about that, figure out some answers, then move on to the next one? Or what would you think? So the mere fact you're asking me this question tells me that you're a more organized person than I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my natural inclination would be, look, just start writing, see mm. what comes up. These issues, the examples you just gave, they're all mixed together. They're, it's not that you just have this problem or just this problem. They're all part of the same problem. And just sit down and just start writing. And your mind will tell you what's important and what what you need to uh, focus on. And that's something that's been, that I've noticed over and over again. There have been many times when I've gotten up and I've started writing about something that I thought was a big issue. And within a very brief time, I realized, wow, there's no energy here. Oh, I wonder if it's really this thing that's is what's really behind why I'm wor worrying about something. In other words, I might start off thinking this was one problem, but in fact, it was something else. So just follow your, follow your heart, follow your mind. It will tell you what issues are underlying some of the distress you might be experiencing. That's really fantastic. And clearly it, it, is, a, it is a powerful resilience tool, Jamie. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think it is. I, I don't understand the resilience world very well, but it, I, I think you're right that it is, you know, that we're all, I think we're, humans are unbelievably resilient. And, and yes. I sometimes think therapists worry too much about their clients. Oh, you poor dear. When in fact, humans are pretty, they're shockingly resilient. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I've, I've met so many people over the years who really overcome such significant adversity. And I've, I've learned so much from those people. And then when you read books like Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, and, and you really see how we can all choose how to respond in any given moment, in any given circumstance, and I really believe that expressive writing can be such a powerful way to, you know, plug into possibility and opportunity and, and growth. Mm -hmm. Exactly. If I was to ask you, Jamie, for our listeners, you know, three tips for a resilient mind or, or three tips for, for growth in the world going forward, I mean, what would you suggest given all of your experience as a scientist? If I were going to stand back and look at the literature, I would 
suggests three issues. One is something like trying to understand upsetting experiences and writing is a good one. So definitely writing. The second would be some kind of relaxation strategy. This could be yoga. It could be meditation. It could be any, anything like that. And the third would be exercise. It could be strenuous exercise like playing football with your friends or running or tennis or something like that. So those three to me are kind of the big picture topic or strategies that I think are probably account for most of the the real benefits that we find in, in terms of the literature. Yes. And I think it's really interesting how you've listed those three items there, because in a way, writing is enabling us to make sense of the past and, and organize our thoughts and, and reframe and, and grow. Mindfulness is a way of being more present, expanding the present moment. And I suppose exercise, it, it, I call it the greatest pill of all. It's a great investment in a healthier future for all of us. Uh, how, do you, how do you stay healthy yourself? I, what do you like to do? Uh, well, I do, I do write. I actually don't do, <laughs> typically don't do any meditation but I do exercise. So I'm, I'm a runner. So those two are really central for me. I feel like you and I'm putting myself on the spot here in terms of why I don't do more of the, the meditation or relaxation. I guess I kind of do in a sense, in the sense that I get lost in my research a lot. I'll have to take that under advisement. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, there is that formal meditation practice, but there are so many informal meditative practices as well, including walking in nature, including running. And I would think including immersing yourself in, you know, in flow-like activities. And I would say for you, you're clearly so passionate about what you do and you love what you do. I would think that your work is in a way is your joy. And that is true. My work really is an immersive experience. And it's fantastic. And you've, you know, you've really provided so much light to so many in terms of resilience and expressive writing. Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and listening and learning from you. Can I finally ask you for you, Jamie Pennebacher, what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is whatever you make it to be. And for me, it really is being immersed in close relationships with my wife and family and my friends being immersed in the work I do, being immersed in the, 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 the play that I have. So I guess that would be my general meaning of life. Fantastic. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Keep inspiring, keep leading. And we look forward to learning about the next chapter in Jamie Pennebacher's illustrious career. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Mark. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.